Good morning. Will you stand and sing our call to worship from Psalm 113 with us? O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He give, he give them the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. privilege of participating in the sacrament of baptism. And so I want to invite uh, Jason and Emily Park to come forward and their son Hayden. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Get some nourishment during the baptism. That's good. Um, 
Well, whenever we gather for a baptism, it's uh, a good chance for us to be reminded that this is obviously a special day for Jason and Emily and their family, but also it's a day for us to be reminded of God's good news. Uh, Water is a visible sign of God's gospel. The water reminds us of life and also reminds us of being made whole again. And it reminds us that God can do what we cannot do ourselves. God can bring forth life, but also God can recreate or wash us to the very depths of our being, things that we cannot do ourselves. And so this is a, not only a sign uh, for the Park family, but for all of us to re- be reminded of our faith or to be an, an invitation to have faith in Christ. For the baptism is not just uh, water, but it's in the name of Jesus, that through Jesus we are made, and through Christ we can be remade. And so today is a special day. Uh, Emily is going to uh, profess faith in Christ and be received as baptism. And then after Emily, uh, Hayden will be baptized as well. So let me pray, though, for our uh, time of baptism. Lord, thank you for this water. And we pray that you set it apart for a sacred and holy use. And we pray that for all of us, it would be a picture, a pointer to you as our creator in Christ and also our redeemer, our recreator in Christ. Lord, let us find rest in this good news. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's a special thing to have um, Emily be able to express her faith in Christ. And the way that the church has done that historically is, as Jesus said, to be baptized in his name. And so there's three questions that I'll ask Emily. And these questions are a way for her to express her public faith in Christ, her need for Christ and his grace for her. So, Emily, let me ask you these. Uh, Emily, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God and in need of his sovereign mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior of sinners, and do you embrace and rest upon him alone for your salvation? And do you promise with the help of the Holy Spirit that you'll continue to seek to live as a follower of Christ? Amen. If you could step, step forward here. Emily Lynn Park, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me me pray for Emily. Lord, we thank you that you have created Emily, and thank you that you've made her in your image. And Lord, we thank you for, uh, by your grace of bringing her to express faith in Christ. We thank you for the wonder that you do not leave us alone, leave us to face our limits or our guilt or our shame or our challenges, but that you have come to us in Christ. And I I pray that that would be a great encouragement to Emily each day, that she would know that you have moved towards her in grace and calling her your daughter in Christ. Pray that you help her as she walks in faith with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Emily. All right. Hayden, are you ready to be baptized? So, so yeah. <laughs> Jason and Emily are coming forward as Christian parents to bring their son to be baptized in the name of Christ. And we pray that uh, this baptism acknowledges that God created Hayden. And we also pray that by God's spirit, through his family and through the church, that he would not just receive this mark on his skin, but by the spirit, he would receive it in his heart. That one day he would come to express faith in Christ. So let me ask Emily and Jason these questions that we ask parents as they bring their children to be baptized. Do you acknowledge Hayden's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? And do you claim God's covenant promises on his behalf And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do for your own? And do you now unreservedly dedicate your son to God and promise in humble reliance upon God's grace that you'll set before him a godly example, that you'll pray with him and for him, that you'll teach him the faith, 
and that you'll strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What is your son's full Christian name? Okay. This is Hayden Alexander Park. Hayden. Hayden, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray for Hayden. Lord, I thank you for Hayden, and we acknowledge that he is a gift from you, a gift to Jason and Emily, to their family, and to all of us. And we pray, Lord, that you'd watch over him all his days, <clears throat> and that he would find his strength in you, Christ, that he'd find his hope and purpose in you, Lord, that you'd help him to be brave, to not only use his gifts for himself, but for his neighbors that he may love them as you have loved him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, just, just one more. Just one more. You can say. <laughs> I invite, invite everyone to stand that we can offer a blessing, a congregational blessing to Hayden. You'll see in your order of worship. Hayden, may the Lord preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. As we celebrate, let's sing together. This morning we're going to actually dismiss the children now. Uh, children's uh, kindergarten through fourth grade are welcome to uh, come over here, and the junior high class as well. So, well, let's pray together. Almighty God, you are our only true refuge, our steadfast shelter. We seek you and we need you and we long for you. You are our God of, of great provision and the God who is in the wilderness and desert, our God who promises a banquet and our God of manna. Father, you are holy and other beyond our comprehension and yet you draw near and know your people. You hear our groans and laments, even when we don't have the words to express them. You see our face and our sorrow. Loving God, open our hearts to both receive and to give this morning, to drink deeply of your love and then to give abundantly from it. Father, open our imaginations to see yourself giving love and to be changed by it. May our lives be filled up with the spirit-led resurrection life that Jesus purchased with his broken body and his shed blood. So Father, we ask that, that by your spirit that you would make yourself known to us this morning. Come to those of us who feel really near and those of us who feel really far away from you. 
Father, meet all of us and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it, we pray in, in his name. Amen. Well, we turn now to our time of confession, a time to acknowledge with God our sin and our need for him. And we do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your loving kindness, have mercy on us. Thank you for the promise of forgiveness and new life in Christ displayed to us in the sign of baptism. personal confession.
Gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness, in our greatest need of rescue while we were still sinners. You descended into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place and to raise us to new life. We give thanks with joy in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 86. You, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ. Old Testament lesson is from Amos chapter 8, verses 4 to 7. Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, 
Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The gospel lesson is from Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine across in that, arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew, drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tim and Sam, for reading from God's Word, and it's good to be able to worship with you. We're going to continue, uh, you'll see a note in your order, continue our sermon series on the New Testament book of Romans. And uh, as before I read our passage, though, I was going to mention this uh, past summer, uh, my wife and I, we did some cleaning out of our basement and our storage area, and, and part of that, we found this uh, kind of old box of Legos that hadn't been used for a while. And it had some of the Harry Potter Lego sets, and I think Diagon Alley, if you're interested. <laughs> but the reason I'm telling you that is that inside this box was this large instruction booklet. Maybe some of you are familiar with Lego sets or putting together sets, but it had many pages. But on the front part page, there was the picture of what the completed set would look like. Here is what you're building. You know, here's the big picture. But then as you flip through the pages, you know, each individual page might just show you one or two pieces that you're putting together. But as you're building those things, as you're flipping through the pages and maybe putting one or two pieces together, it's helpful to remember that big picture at the beginning. It's helpful to remember the, the scene from Harry Potter that you're constructing. Because if you just open the instruction manual at any page and just see a few different pieces being put together, you would have no idea maybe what you're actually constructing. And I mentioned that, that storage and that box and that instruction booklet, because I think it might be helpful as we reflect on Romans to think about the big picture versus some of the individual pages where pieces are put together. What is, what's the big picture? We heard a little bit about this last week, that the Apostle Paul 
is writing to a small church in Rome. And he tells them that the main idea is not him, the main subject is not even the church in Rome, but the main subject is the gospel of God. The gospel of God. And that what is the gospel? It is first and foremost a message, a proclamation of what God has done in the person of Jesus. It's the good news that through Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection, God has acted powerfully to rescue all who would believe, to rescue all who would receive the gift. For the Jew and Gentile, for the wise and the fool. And so this big picture is answering the question, does God leave us with our sin and misery? Are we alone just with our own resources to face the questions and challenges of my life? And the gospel, this big picture, says no. That God has acted for you in the person of Jesus. God has come and that you're not alone. So that's the big picture. But now as we read our passage today and go through the next couple of chapters, it's, it's like looking at some beginning pieces being put together. Some pieces put together. And so over the next couple weeks, as we look at today and some other passages early in Romans, what we'll see is that Paul is putting together some pieces. He's building a case that all of us need this gospel. That all of us need God's mercy. And all of us need God's power to bring new life to us. And what we'll see in our passage in particular today is that Paul starts with this general statement about humankind, that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and that we've worshiped and served the creation and not the creator. So let's look at our passage and see this piece that's being put together to invite us to understand the significance of the gospel. You can follow in your order of worship or your Bible, or just listen as I read. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, <clears throat> they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, this is God's word given for our good. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as we look at this passage and try to see how the pieces are being put together, I want us to ask two questions to move through it. First, what does it mean that God is angry? And second, what does God's anger tell us ourselves. So the first question, what does it mean that God is angry? The anger of God. Now I imagine that many of us might feel uncomfortable when we read a verse that speaks of God's anger. Here we read that God's wrath or anger is revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of humanity. So it's good to start maybe with two possible misunderstandings that we might have about what God's anger is. First, we might think that God's anger 
is just like human anger. And a second thing is that we might think that the very notion of anger is inappropriate for God. So let's talk about both those things for a moment. First, human anger. Although human anger sometimes is righteous, it's mostly very unrighteous. Often our anger, a slow boil or a sudden outburst, it often contains pride and animosity, malice. It's often fueled by selfish motivation, by frustration at being inconvenienced, a desire for revenge. And I imagine that all of us here maybe have had that experience in ourselves or from others. And what I want us to hear is that God's anger does not contain such ingredients. Wrath or anger here does not mean an out-of-control explosion. Rather, it carries the idea of a steady, determined posture against something. A righteous and steadfast opposition to evil. Maybe we can think of someone in our life who has stood up against something that is wrong, refusing to compromise or to just let things go because it takes so much time or it's just the way it's always been. God's anger is a posture against evil. And second, we might think that anger is fundamentally not appropriate for God. And what I want us to reflect on is if anger is inappropriate for God, then we need to see that we're disconnecting God from a posture against evil, against human suffering or mistreatment. See, the anger of God, his steady, determined opposition is revealed against what our pastor calls unrighteousness. Unrighteousness can also be translated injustice. The word carries the idea of hurt or acting against humans individually or as a society failing to honor one another. And so if we think about anger, what we're invited to affirm is that God the creator cares deeply about his world and about his people. All people, for all humans bear God's image and have intrinsic value. And it's for this reason that we see the two great commandments that summarize God's law be so bound together that we are to love the Lord our God with all of who we are and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. See, God's anger is revealed against activities that deface, destroy, or damage creation and humans. And what I want us to see and reflect on is that if God isn't angry or isn't opposed to such things, then he isn't a good God. So what does it mean that God is angry? Well, we can remember, we're invited to remember that one of the key promises of the scriptures is that there is another word, another power besides human injustice and human evil. That there is such a thing as evil, as hurting others, as acting with injustice. Such things are real, but they will have an end. Wrongdoing will be confronted, and God in righteous justice will have the final say. And as a way to affirm this, God in multiple places in his words says that there will be a time where there is no more tears, no more suffering, and no more death. And what I hope we can see is that such a promise of no more must be rooted in a God who stands against, who is angry at ungodliness and injustice. So as we think about this anger that our passage speaks of, it can lead us to the second question I want us to ask, is what does God's anger tell us about ourselves what does God's anger tell us about ourselves and maybe as a way to begin thinking about this I came across an author who was writing about the book of Romans and he, he, he shares about his neighborhood he says that there was a large old tree 
in his neighborhood that he walked past regularly. And one day he found out they were going to cut it down. He was dis disappointed by this. And he writes that they said it was diseased, but I wasn't completely convinced. It looked okay to me. But once it was cut down and he saw the inside of the trunk, he says that the trunk of this great tree was about four feet across. And the outer three or four inches were solid. But the rest of the trunk was a stained, dark, and molted pattern. That rot and the roots had come up into the tree, into its inside and working its way up. What looked to one passing by as a solid, grand tree was actually a diseased one, one with a diseased core. And the image here is suggesting to us that this grand tree is an image of the human race. While it's not always clear, what Paul is writing to the church in Rome and to you and me is that something has gone wrong deep in the core. In this specific piece of Romans, as he's putting it together, Paul seeks to convince us, convince us that the tree is diseased and it, it matters that it is and that it touches each and every one of us. Ungodliness and unrighteousness is not just out there. Those other people who are different than me or who are, I don't like as much but it touches me as well. And we hear about this disease in our passage where it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie exchange worship of God for worship of the creation. So we think about what it says about us. One of the first signs of the disease we're told in our passage is a failure to worship. A failure of worship. We're made to worship the living God, yet we read here that we turned our worship to what Scripture calls idols or false gods, Objects within creation are objects made by human hands. We exchange the glory of God for images of the world around us. Now, I, I don't know about you, but what comes to mind when you hear the word idol, it's often easy to dismiss ancient idolatry as just silliness, right? They, they carved gods out of metal and wood. They put it up on their altar or on their home. But we need to think about that concept in general and recognize that we all, all humans, do the same thing. Seeking a sense of control, a sense of direction and purpose, our culture holds up all types of idols. The most obvious are things such as money or sex, success and titles, being young, having power or access. And we set them on our altars, whether it be our social media or in our homes or in how we dress or present ourselves. Scripture tells us that the, the best idols, the best idols have power to give you and me a sense of certainty, a sense of control in a world that is very much chaotic. Or the best ones have the power to numb us so deeply that we can forget or stop feeling at least for a little while. Separated from the true God, we direct our worship, we give ourselves to a variety of created things, hoping that we can feel in control or stop feeling at all. And Paul summarizes this by saying, we claim to be wise, but we became fools. What does God's anger tell us about ourselves? And I want us to see is that one of the things it tells us, it is quite possible for humans like you and me to claim that doing one thing is good and wise 
and that doing the opposite is bad and foolish and for us to be exactly wrong. It's possible to work hard and devote yourself to that which is not worthy of you, to give yourself to that which cannot give you life or make you whole. It makes us maybe think of Jesus' words. He, he said, it's possible to gain the whole world, yet lose your soul. And what profit is it if you gain all the world has to offer, wealth, fame, success, but lose your very self? What does God's anger say about us? Well, the author Marilyn Robinson she writes that we, as humans, are a puff of warm breath in a very cold universe. <laughs> By this kind of reckoning, she says, we are either immeasurably insignificant or we are incalculably precious and interesting. And scripture tells us today that we are incalculably precious and interesting, that all of us here and all of our neighbors, that we're made for connection and relationship, made to be in relationship with God, with others, with creation, and even with ourselves. And what our passage is inviting us to see is that that connection to God has been disrupted and it brings disruption to all the other places that connection was meant. Humans we're made to know, to worship, to love and serve God. And so even now as we wonder about who God is, we know our limits. And we know that we're human. We're not the creator or sustainer of life. And our memory or our sense or awareness of God accompanies us wherever we go. And when we turn from God to seek life elsewhere, we are in rebellion not against what is foreign to us, but against that which is most intimately ours. You see, in this strange sense, disloyalty to God is ultimately disloyalty to ourselves. For God is this hidden home at the beginning and the end of all of our wandering and all of our journeys. I mentioned in the beginning the Lego instruction booklet and it invited us to remember that there is a big picture. And even as we feel these pieces about God's anger and about our need for God's mercy, we're invited to remember the big picture. God, even in the face of ungodliness and injustice, acts with grace. The true God is revealed in the person of Jesus, specifically the cross of Jesus. As we'll read later in chapter 5, just a few chapters later, we'll read what Paul says that while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still unrighteous, Christ died for us to reconcile us to God. God's answer is not simply anger. God's answer is not simply anger, but rather God gives us a gift. This is the big picture to remember. Christ is the gift of God. And this gift is given not with regard to your worth or my worth, for we are unworthy, but rather our hope in the midst of our ungodliness and injustice and even our foolishness is the gift of God to us in Christ. So today, let us embrace that. Not our, not our commitment to do better or to make promises for the future, but the gift that God gives to the ungodly, new life in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we gather, that you would help us to hear, and that by your spirit, you'd help us to respond with faith to turn from false gods and false hopes that are unworthy of us to find true life in the true God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us and we'll
Heavenly Father, you are to be praised for the women and men who are faithful witnesses to your love throughout history. Grant us joy and wonder at your work around the world and give us encouragement to share your love with the people around us. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Please be seated. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. This table is a picture, a, a visible picture of the gift of God in Christ, something that we can hold and see and taste. And it tells us the good news, that God takes those who are far off and who have wandered, who have chased idols or false gods, who exchange the truth for a lie, by his grace has brought them home and called them sons and daughters and given them a place at his family table. And let us remember our place at this table is not because of what we've done in the past or promises we make about the future. Our place at the table from now and forever is because of grace, the grace of Christ for us. Christ died and lived on our behalf and rose showing that he was greater than all sin and death. So if you have faith in Christ, then come and eat and drink. Be nourished and encouraged by God's grace that we may walk in his ways of life. If you're not a follower of Christ, we're glad that you're here. We ask that this table would be a sign, a witness to who God is. We still invite you to come forward. You can just put your arm across your chest, and I'm happy to offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, that you are a God that's gracious that you have sent Christ to reconcile the ungodly and the unrighteous to you. I pray today that you would help us to let go of false hopes and false loves and false gods, that we cling again to you, the giver of all life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was portrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving communion can come forward at this time. Uh, I invite everyone to come forward down the center aisle to receive the bread and the cup, and then you can go back on the sides. I asked if you're able that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink together as one family. And as a reminder, if you're not taking communion, I still invite you to come forward and receive a prayer of blessing here at the front. Let's come now to God's table.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing and confess as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to imitate your kindness to the outsider, your affection for the lost, and your desire to please only your Heavenly Father as we proclaim the mystery of faith. you to join together in confessing our faith from the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue to worship through the time of giving our gifts in response to God's generosity. So I want to invite the, the greeters to come forward. And just want to take a moment, though, to again say welcome. I'm glad that you're all here. And especially if you're visiting, uh, really glad that you can be here uh, today and join us. A couple of notes um, that you can, uh, I guess I should also, there's a basket, I forgot to mention this. There's a basket that's passed. You can put your, your communion cup in that. And then there's the offering plates as well. If you get them mixed up, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll figure it out, too. So <laughs> um, but just a couple of notes to mention. If, if you are uh, new, if this is your first Sunday, or if you just started coming recently, and you'd like to share your information with the church so that it can follow up or receive the weekly email, uh, there is a QR code in your order of worship. You can fill out the Connect card online, or there is actually uh, physical copies in the back that you can fill out and just drop in the bucket. Um, it would be great for uh, myself or Pastor Brian to follow up with you. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, a couple of things to mention is that we have a time of hospitality after the service. We have uh, some coffee and bagels. And I said this in the beginning, but uh, the security guard here from CPS, uh, Robert, has, was very kind and put together some lunch for us and brought some sodas and juice boxes and some chips. And that's all going to be out there. So if you see Robert, you'll see him with his security uh, badge on stuff. You know, please tell him thanks. But please encourage you to stay after. We can eat some food together and enjoy each other's company uh, enjoy the beautiful grounds at Waters. Um, the last thing just to, to mention is encourage you to take a look at the announcements. Uh, we have Christian Education that starts um, October 2nd, and there is five Sundays, uh, some 9 to 10 before the church service. Adonijah uh, Tinu and Tommy Garamani will be uh, teaching that class called Grace, uh, Grace the Gift of Relationship. Uh, it'll be from 9 to 10, and there's a nursery and children's class, children's outside time as well. In response to God's generosity, uh, let's stand together and uh, sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here
receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. And go in peace.